0: Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanias, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to be diving into how B2B businesses can build resilience and thrive both today and tomorrow with a digital transformation. To discuss this, I am joined today by Daphna Andrews, VP of Customer Experience from Oro, Inc., True B2B e-commerce visionary, Daphna brings more than 20 years of experience developing, executing, and overseeing business transformation projects for Fortune 100 companies around the world. Before Oro, Daphna designed and led strategic e-commerce and digital transformation initiatives for the industry, leading enterprise B2B clients at Gorilla Group, resulting in increased revenues and operational optimization. Previously, she was a senior product manager at HP, part of the core team that built and grew the global B2B e-commerce program from the ground up increasing revenue generation from $300 million to more than $6 billion a year. Daphna, welcome to the show today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Can you give us a little bit of brief background about Oro before we jump into our topic for today?
1: Absolutely. So Oro is a leading provider of B2B e-commerce software and marketplace capabilities. Now, we also have an embedded uh, Oro CRM product, which enables sales to not only, obviously, as a CRM would do, enable their sales contacts, improve their ability to service their, their customers, but it also is very integral in the way that they can then develop, say, personas, have campaigns, et cetera. So it's really a sales enablement tool that's built in to the Oro Commerce platform. Now, one of the reasons I joined ARO is it really is a game changer for businesses. It is a tool that I wish I had had when I was a practitioner you know for eighteen plus years um, and also implementing for clients um, for the four years after that. So what I mean by that is it basically puts the power in the hands of the business in many many ways that the, our competitors just don't do. so you know in my past, I would have to wait anywhere from Four weeks to 12 months to have just simple changes done to the checkout process. This is a tool that was designed by the people who created Magento. They understand commerce. They saw the fact that there was a gap in the ability to service B2B commerce customers. They developed this natively B2B from the ground up. They've thought extremely extensively about all the nuances of B2B. One big one is pricing tiers, things like workflow, things that are very complex for B2B and they have all the features in the back office that a B2B practitioner can enable without always having that dependency in IT. So it's really a visionary product for B2B customers.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for that. It's great. We're great partners with Oro at AmericanEagle.com. We've enjoyed working with the team there and uh, have several different projects that we have executed upon or also still have in progress right now. So very exciting, especially on the B2B side. And I kind of want to you know, go back to the title of our episode today and talk through just what that really means overall for the B2B space, right? So there's been this big digital transformation that's been happening. I think digital transformation is a word that's always going to stick around. It's not just a buzzword anymore. It was a number of years ago, but it's you're constantly going to be transforming with the changes in technology, the changes in market and industry overall. And in the experiences that we have today, it's definitely one where I just look at, there's so many ways that businesses need to be resilient. And when we really look at B2B businesses, there's so much that was, rapidly accelerated during the pandemic for digital transformation um, and that they had to be resilient to survive overall, that it kind of accelerated some things that B2B usually historically was a little bit more behind B2C on implementing technologies, platforms, getting commerce fully digitized online because they just weren't needing it as fast. And so I think that as we look at this, there's some aspects of just when a B2B business needs to build resilience and thrive today and in the future, right? Tomorrow with the digital transformation, what are the steps that they take about it? So when you first hear that que- you know, comment of the title, resiliency and, and thriving, what comes to mind for you?
1: So these are great questions and I'd like to just first sort of level set on what we're considering digital transformation. Cause as you said, it really is a buzzword. So, if we sort of set um, the ground the ground level here, so you know we talk about you know for, and this is for people who may or may not know, or maybe it's just a refresher, but there's three real steps to digital transformation. You really have to start obviously with the digitizing of your business. So what that means is things like maybe you have a triplicate order form now, or you know a, a written down spreadsheet, transferring those into online Capabilities that are digitized, like an Excel spreadsheet, or like that triplicate form ends up being, you know, something that maybe you manage on, you know, DocuSign or Dropbox or something. Then you're really digitizing the information. The next step is to digitalize. And what does that mean? That's basically meaning har- harnessing the power of the technology that you've enabled to really transform your processes and the roles that make up the operations of the business. So that's things like now you have, say, for example, before, you know, I've worked with some customers where they were building a catalog by literally cutting out pictures of their products and cutting out descriptions that were typed up, literally typed up on a typewriter and putting them together and then taking them to a printer. Now you get that stuff now into Word documents, into JPEGs, that's digitizing. Then you digitalize by having a DAM you know, and having a uh, CMS or whatever the case may be, the things that you need to start building a PDP, right? That you're going to then have on your e-commerce store as a catalog, all the things that you're going to need. And then from there, you can actually digitally transform. And that is about transforming your business and your strategy so you can be more resilient. You can create new business models. You can penetrate new markets. You can gain market share in existing markets that you're already in. These are the things where like, for example, you think about an example of digital transformation is looking at how car companies, some car companies are now monetizing certain features. So for example, heated seats, you know, who would have ever thought everyone, you know, you had heated seats, you bought the car, it was part of the tier of whatever the the level of the car you bought, if it was a luxury model. But now you're seeing companies where they're saying, okay, well, we'll build those heated seats for all cars. It actually streamlines their, you know, the productivity and um, the way that they're building the cars um, on the line. Now, then they say, okay, well, we're going to charge. In the winter months, it's going to be more expensive. In summer, it's less expensive. Or if you have this tier, it's free for you. Things like that. Or maybe you want to save money if you're at a higher tier and you don't want the heated seats. You can turn those off. Maybe you get a, you know, some sort of discount or credit. The point is, is that that is a way to transform Back before that was a possibility where they could have that insight and that data and those connections technologically, nobody would have ever thought that that's something that you could turn on and off. Who would have thought, you know, from remotely or how does the company know, you know, what when the, the months are or when the days are warm, you could do it to the place someone's located. You know, so in say like Alaska, it's going to cost more versus say in Hawaii, right? So these are the things you just think about um, as you're transforming your business. So Like I said, that that's one of the main things to talk about is what are the differences? Now, then you can start thinking about what are the benefits overall? So you're innovating your business, you're growing it, like you said, building resilience. So let's look at like the pandemic, for example, right? I mean, these were companies that didn't have a digital channel were way behind. Companies that did have a digital channel, they were able to adapt and transform quickly. So they were able to implement, buy online, pick up in store right? These are companies that, you know, for example, here's a great, another great anecdote where during the pandemic, there was um, a lot of need for the PPE supplies. Where I lived, there was a very large fire. I needed to get a mask for protection. I could not find it. Instead of driving around to all the stores, I did find one at Home Depot and I'll give them a quick plug because their omni-channel was absolutely phenomenal. Nobody else was really doing it at that level. I was able to find those masks. I could buy them online. Within two hours, I was at the store picking them up. These are the things that these companies were able to pivot and adapt extremely quickly because they had the technology in place to then continue to grow and to continue to transform.
0: Absolutely. And and Daphne, you made a great point there about the aspect of the importance of the experience for the end user. And I think that's where in the B2B space... Sometimes there's also pushback on digital transformation and specifically, and I love how you broke it down between digitize and digitalize, where as you have completed the digitize aspect, there was still a lot of B2B organizations that had large sales teams out in the field. And those sales teams all feel that the e-commerce site is going to be this big competition or threat where in reality, it's really a great sidekick. Um, And I kind of use that term because the relationship aspect in b2b is still going to be there all the ways that you can do account based marketing and the way that you build those relationships especially different industries where you know you still seek that intelligence from someone who has been selling for that organization and knows ins and outs of your organization and the products that they provide to you or services and so that relationship still is there it's just been digitized but to digitalize it also helps empower the seller to reach people faster, maybe not depend on them being available for a phone call, but you can quickly communicate with them, but then also quickly send them information about, wait, you know what, maybe it is a subscription model like you talked about with the heated seats, where you see that they keep reordering and it seems to be at a different cycle. It's not a regular pattern, but the digitalized aspect of it brings that information to light and, and benefits that seller overall. And even the buyer, right? Because it's also about the bottom line for the organization. And in the B2B space, you still want to be increasing revenue. So if you can get that increase through another channel, why wouldn't you look for it? But it is an omni-channel experience. It is not always just a single channel that's going to do that for you. And I I love the fact that you brought up a typewriter and images cut out from a product catalog to be put up onto a site, because that's one of the things that also comes into play with digitizing is the importance of the correct content. And that content is not just written. It is visual. It is video. It is it's any type of media that's consumed that benefits that end purchaser. You need to make sure that you're providing that to them and in the right context and making sure that is as accurate as possible. Um, I deal with a lot of companies that sell parts, I mean, down to like washers that fit into specific appliances. And the way that you have to communicate that content to also instill the confidence and trust that that's the right part for the model that I'm purchasing for is critical. And this all comes into that digitalized aspect then of giving them that confidence and trust through the messaging that you provide in your website, in your app, whatever it may
1: be. Absolutely, and it's interesting because yes, what I like about what you're talking about is building that trust. The content is key into building trust, and what we're seeing more and more, as I'm sure people hear in the media, but like as you know the years go on and you and I get older, you know we're seeing more and more people who are entering the workforce that are truly digitally native, you know they don't know what it's like to really they don't even know what a landline is for a phone, and that's fine, but the point is is we have to adapt to that, and as sellers and as companies, you know, that's, we need to meet our customers where they are. So the old idea was that B2 C was much more glamorous, and, and it, you know it's still the idea, excuse me that B2 C is glamorous, it's much more fast-paced. But the older idea of like having these procurement people who have been in the industry for 40, 50 years, that's going away. We're seeing the younger, um, you know, the younger buyers coming in, and it's no longer okay for them. They're not comfortable talking to a seller. They don't want to be taken to dinner. They don't want to sit in a room for eight hours and try to, you know, create a complex configuration for whatever they're doing. If they're, you know, for example, like an engine for an aircraft, right? These are people who we need to meet them where they are and they want to be online. So there's a spectrum, right? There's from everything where there's no touch, where a customer can order something, say it's, you know, a hammer. It doesn't really matter. just a hammer. They're ordering it online, whatever. Then you can go all the way to the sales rep has to be involved for super complex or government contracts. Mm -hmm. In between, there is so much opportunity for you to optimize processes, to really be able to standardize and scale your business where you can provide content that is absolutely accurate. You can provide all the information somebody needs to research along their buying journey so you really you're trying to automate as much as you can along that buying journey for the comfort level of the customer and what that does internally for the sales rep is they are freed up to really understand their customers understand their customers business they're no longer looking at you know the rote tasks of like selling parts selling pieces of, of products they're now working with customers or understanding customer businesses to create solutions for them and then bringing those solutions online. So you can configure, say, for example, a large format printer for, I don't know, if you're looking at a major league baseball team, say they need to print um, certain types of, you know, um, swag or flags or certain things for events at the, at the park, right? These sales reps now can understand what printers do they really need, What type of ink do they need? Then they're creating the configurator online with those specific customer-specific parts at the customer-specific pricing and say bulk pricing, whatever the case may be. These are things now where your customers might not talk to your sales rep, but they sure as heck are getting a completely personalized experience.
0: Yeah. I got to ask a question though. Which major league baseball team is your team?
1: So I got to say... Um, If I'm going to say the team, it's the Yankees.
0: (laughs) Ah, okay, okay. I'm Cubs. I'm born and bred. So, yes, it was quite interesting having friends growing up where we had half of our friend group was Cubs, half was Sox. So made for interesting moments. But either way, I just had to make sure that I got that in there. I absolutely agree with what you talked about. And I want to go back and I've talked about the generational aspect of audiences in the past. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head to go ahead and use a pun with your hammer product announcement. But (laughs) uh, overall, uh, that generational difference is a very important aspect of your digital transformation as it continues, because that's another way that as the way that people want to communicate changes by the new buyers that are coming into the roles when people are retiring, you have to pivot and you have to uh, transform for that. And I, I, I really feel that's one of the challenges with digital transformation is and why it's never complete is that it's an ongoing optimization yeah. that is always going to be there because of both changes in technology, changes in the generations of people who are coming in and you're interacting with and, and the changes in the needs, right? And, and the services side, I, you look at the, again, going back to your example, the heated seats, who would have ever thought that a car would have a subscription model for features within the car? I It's just crazy. Like I got, That when Sirius XM and satellite radio came out and yeah, that's a subscription, but you know, I'm fine with just my antenna for local stations, but that was the first subscription model. I never thought that they would do something beyond that because it was always, to your point, the level of trim or whatever they call it officially for the vehicle purchase that would include the leather seats or the heated seats or whatever it might be. But to your point, the the business benefits where they have one production line for everything, potentially... And they don't have to have all these separate add-ons and spin-offs for all these different aspects, and they can then just charge the customer for it. Uh, So very interesting. Do you know how
1: many, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, do you know how many arguments would have been avoided with my siblings when I was a kid with wanting the seats that in the Nova with those plastic leather black seats that we used to get into furious arguments because we wanted the seats that were not in the sun Mm -hmm. because it would burn our little legs you know I mean the the amount you can think about how it extends to now parents' sanity right oh yeah you avoid these arguments I mean it's technology and the way we embrace it it really touches all areas of our lives
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely and and that's going back to another point that you, you you made a little bit ago how technology touches every point in our lives. We now have where I think about like my own children and they are digital native because it is always they they know touch screens immediately from day one. I didn't have that I didn't I didn't even get to use a, a color screen computer for a while until we finally got a color monitor. I'll, I'll, I'll date myself with that. but with that, yeah. it's the importance of understanding again how to transform your business's methods and the way that you're selling to meet those needs. And and again, I, I love that you hit this point where there's some areas that you will no matter what have to talk to a human being at some point because of the complexity of whatever you're configuring or, or whatever the, the the need is. And that's where we see in the younger generations, they prefer to to potentially chat. So that interaction with that salesperson might be through chat now versus a phone call and they can still get the information they need, but it can't be a chat bot because there's certain things that you just can't train that for yet that you need to make sure are very clear. And that's another way of, hey, start them off with all digital experience, then move them into the chat. Then if the chat really hits a point where it says, hey, you know what, this might be faster with a phone call, you can ask that and and go that direction, but some of them might still say no, and I just wanna chat. But knowing that you have a a sales team that can pivot and adjust to that and be available, I think is key. And, you know, that might be where you start to pair your sellers who are a bit more peer-to-peer or people who have really adopted certain approaches and and embrace that overall in your approach. So what are some other potential challenges to transformation that maybe you've come across and, and ways that you've, you've seen that overcome?
1: So before I go into the challenges, mm-hmm. I just want to add one thing that I think I would be remiss not bringing up the fact that the benefits also to those digital channels is data, Mm, right? So those chats, you know, you have listening tools that can listen. um, You're not, you know, obviously not listening, but they're they're looking at the way that people are speaking. They're getting emotions. Nowadays, you can have, we have, there's AI. I've read recently about startups that are looking at what are the emotions of that customer in the chat, not just Mm -hmm. the questions they're asking. What is the journey of the user when they go into the site? So the moment they come to your site, or even before, where did they come from? Mm-hmm. How long did they stay on a certain page? When they're reading on your PDP, how long are they staying on certain content? Are they looking at spec sheets for a while? Is that not as important to that type of customer persona? You could, Once in B2B, we have the amazing good fortune of usually almost always being behind a authentication uh, wall. So basically, you have to be authenticated. We know who you are. So now the sales rep and the company overall has oodles of data for then the sales team and just the company to make data-driven decisions, which is one of the tenets of digital transformation, is not using your gut, using data to make Decisions that actually are based on reality, and not only based on reality, but then based on where you want to go and where you want to grow, and what are the what are your goals as a business? How do you achieve those? You have all that rich data. So I just wanted to make sure um, I touched on that because even you know it does. We are meeting the customer where they want to be, but we're also bringing back vast amounts of of a goldmine of information to the company.
0: Absolutely. I'm, gra- so, I'm glad you mentioned that. And I want to let you jump into now, you just challenges yeah. transformation, but absolutely the data is such a key element of the B2B side.
1: It's amazing. And, and it's incredible how much you can harness and to see people having those aha moments, those customers when mm-hmm. they see that, it's so exciting. And I'm sure you have that at you know American Eagle I'm, see, I'm sure you guys see that all the time as you enable these incredible solutions for your customers.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. There's aspects of just the way that we approach data strategy to make sure that we're capturing the right. But I, I love that you bring up just the the emotional side of it, the sentiment analysis that can be done now. And you can pull so much from just trying to understand where they're at, where they've been, you know, what might be best next to drive to them that comes into that personalized experiences that you can build. And it's not just for B2C. On the B2B side, it's just as important because it's how you get out of just that single track of oh, this is this customer A, customer A always buys this every two and a half months, so I'm just going to give them that. Well, where's the recommendation of every other customer who buys that same product line or, or product set? And now what else do they buy? And let's maybe promote that to customer A to see if they might be interested for it. So it's just because they're consistently purchasing from you doesn't mean that they don't need to still be made aware of potentially other opportunities of products or services that you sell as well. So that data, like you said, it's a goldmine of just information that can be tapped into so much for multiple different types of growth.
1: Yeah. And I know the audio people can't see this, but I'm just smiling ear to ear because this kind of this topic, I just eat up B2B commerce and digital transformation. It's just the, the amount of complexity and the solutioning it's just so exciting to me so let's go into yeah the challenges of transformation how do you overcome them so let's kind of first start with the internal challenges because those are usually the things we hear from you know a lot of companies is that you know we are either too complex, we like the status quo, our employees um, are afraid of it, um, we don't wanna scare our employees. There's a lot of things that are, you know, you could have excuses all day just for everything basically. Um, but one of the things that I talk to people about and I'm a huge believer in, and, and when I was leading digital transformation projects um, and continue to do so, really you look at what are the opportunities from these challenges? Every challenge has an opportunity, right? I'm not trying to be a person who's always seeing the rosy side, but there always is a rosy side. There always is an opportunity. So when you look at from a leadership perspective, strong leaders can leverage transformation opportunities to really emerge as those strong leaders that are trusted, that are respected in their organization. And these are really things that are opportunities that I've seen really born out of transformation. So where you've had leaders or, you know, when I say leaders, I'm talking like CEO, um, COO, people, whomever is really leading a transformational effort um, from the tops down, right? A lot of times I've seen companies where these leaders are are making the decisions in like sort of a vacuum or like a PMO for transformation. They're not including people who are the people on the ground, the boots on the ground, the people who know the business the best, the people who know the customers the best and the processes and operations, right? And I have to just give a shout out to somebody, to me, who is really a pioneer in this area. And unfortunately, he has since passed, but Kaiser CEO, Bernard Tyson, was incredible. This is a man who's implementing transformation at Kaiser, a huge healthcare company. Everybody said it couldn't be done. You know, healthcare is stodgy, it's offline, you have insurance. This man, one of the ways he did it so successfully, and the, his proteges and the people under him continue to do it, he went out at a certain cadence to all parts of the business, to the point that he was going into, what does it take to prepare for surgery? What does it take for, if if you're looking at the um, billing department, they have to work with other, maybe other types of insurance, maybe, I don't know how exactly it works, or working with doctor's office, prescriptions, looking at their pharmacy. He literally went in with a group of people with clipboards and notes, and he sat there and he watched and he talked to them and he was a fly on the wall. That to me is a leader. He understood, he wanted to get to the details of his business, but at the same time, it's setting... An example for these people to see how important they are. It's showing empathy. It's him coming out and saying, Look, I get how hard this is for you. And it's true. It's absolutely um, authentic and genuine. You have to be that way. If you just go out there and watch people do their job, people are going to know if you don't care. You got to be empathetic. Understand that people naturally are fearful of change, right? This is an opportunity for you to understand your people who really are the company's most valuable asset, right? and the company wouldn't be there without them so once you have that empathy and you can start to explain to people that you understand the challenges that you're there that you're taking that into account and the decisions you're making you're being transparent with your communications and you're also really you know showing them that you want to empower them to make those data driven decisions without excessive bureaucracy because that's a huge part of transformation they will respond in kind i mean yes you'll have the outliers that might be resistant to change but I've always seen that that really brings on people to embrace the change. And it also causes a camaraderie, not only amongst teams, but cross-functionally, where people want the whole company to succeed. They want to partner cross-functionally to say, how can we make our jobs better? How do I go from hating when I wake up in the morning that I have to do rote tasks all day to enjoying my job where I can make strategic decisions, where I can help? I mean... I was talking to somebody who had implemented recently um, robots in a warehouse. Employees were absolutely afraid, scared. They thought their jobs were going away. The robots were only going to go to the, to the row and optimize the path for you know, how they were going to get to the product. They also had a lot of challenges. And now they're cross-training all those employees. So the employees are managing like fleets of robots, and now they're getting cross-trained. Some of them are getting actual certifications in, you know, programming, things like that. I mean, this is amazing. This is like really empowering to these people. It's changing their lives. They're getting pay increases because they're doing more complex tasks. They're more valuable to the organization. And really, you know, this is the way that you can overcome the main challenge that I've seen is really on the people side and the process side. Because then people want to optimize processes to make things easier and leverage technology to digitalize, right? Absolutely. So yeah. for me, that's a big part. And that's last thing I was gonna say about that is instilling a digital mindset in your employees, which means you want them to understand that it's safe to innovate, it's safe to take risks that are, you know, calculated. It's you should not be afraid to fail. You need to learn from mistakes, you need to collaborate. All these things are opportunities to improve your company. Absolutely. That's from the internal
0: side yeah, no, absolutely and and it's so key what you just mentioned about just how it's it's really people in process. the technology is always going to keep growing. and we're also at a point where I was reading an article the other day we've had Moore's law forever um, where everything's going to be two times right the increase and in everything and yeah. it doubles in that sense. and now with uh, where AI is taking us, it's kind of hockey sticking that and it's really starting to increase the speed to that new innovation and to your point that people process and technology usually the the common business school methodology right um but the people in process the story you just talked about with the example of cross training into the robots and the warehouse for the people that are there it's that growth of hey yes either people or process are going to change because technology will always change and people and process will always have to change with it and how you adopt that and how you embrace it is going to be critical. And there's so many ways that organizations can support both because efficiencies are also being desired now, too. And and this is an interesting one. I was reading an article this morning about uh, there was all those, you know, quiet quitting. And now there's minimal work Mondays and all this interesting stuff where people are looking at that work-life balance. And uh, the four-day work week is being talked about more in the press now. And there's so many ways that the younger generations are starting to kind of try to claim back aspects of a work-life balance. And, and here in the U.S., it's actually really interesting. We are more of the culprit of not addressing that than across the rest of the world. It's not that you don't need to have a strong work ethic and you know focus on your job, but I look at when I visited my wife when we were dating, she was in uh, Spain and Sevilla, the siesta aspect in Europe, and especially in Spain, was incredible. But it also went to the... And there's a podcast I listened to recently that talked about just the rhythms of your life in your day and how your body works and functions in certain ways. And that it is an interesting fact of the certain breaks that are needed. And when we think about that, when you are actually enjoying what you do, when you are looking at the challenges in front of you, when you're stressed, are you more likely to find the solution? Or when it's that, yeah, I might have a little pressure, but my mind is clear. And you kind of really focus on that specific situation, the amount of opportunities for overcoming a challenge, to me at least personally, are exponentially greater than when I feel paralyzed by everything else that's going on in life. So if I take that step back, take that deep breath, there's so much more that I can evaluate and move forward with to overcome that situation and find opportunities and and ways to, to convert that challenge and overcome it. And I think the same is true in the way that B2B approaches things. And in any industry, it doesn't just have to be B2B, but I especially look at the B2B examples of late. And most of those are once the organization, okay, great. Through the pandemic, the past three years, we had to make some rapid acceleration. After the first about year and a half, two years of that, it kind of, to me, the experience was, okay, we got all these Band-Aid solutions in place to survive. Now, how do we optimize those? And are those the correct solutions? And that was that step back moment. And I think that really happened last year in 2022, and I'm continuing to see a little bit of it in 23 here, but most have already built their roadmap now for that step back and reevaluation of how do we move ourselves forward from here now that we know digital works fully for us in these areas or whatever it may be, how do we keep embracing it? And to me, it almost helped accelerate that B2B industry to a whole nother level of thinking of, hey, you know what? We got to keep this up because this is now the new expectation of our end buyer. It is the next generation of digital first, digital native purchasers and buyers. So that is a great way as a business to keep continuing to overcome challenges is don't forget to take that step back, clear your head, think about the opportunities that you have in that challenging moment, and then press forward again. No one's perfect, no one ever can be perfect in this world. And so you wanna make sure that you look at the opportunity to say, hey, we might have to try something. And if it doesn't work, hopefully you're gathering the data to see that fast and you pivot and you continue to grow in that sense. And and to me, that's that rapid acceleration that's now going to keep happening across the board. But again, without the data and the process of evaluating it and the people to understand that, you know, output of the data, how are you going to make those decisions? Who's going to say, hey, yep, here's the next opportunity overall?
1: I really like what you said about having people in that balance and that mind clarity to be making those decisions um, and thinking, you know, strategically. Because you know what you're talking about is you're talking about there is the difference between surviving and thriving, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're in survival mode, it's hard, very hard, to think in the future. When you're thriving, it's not. And what you also described is something I'm very much. A believer in is the maslow hierarchy of needs right mm-hmm. and where it goes is the you know the first couple levels are about physiological and safety needs right it's a kind of like a a triangle or like a hierarchy as you go from the bottom to the top and the top is basically thriving the bottom is surviving right so you have the physiological and safety needs at the bottom so that's somebody feeling job security feeling they can feed their family you know knowing they have healthcare, right Then you have love and belonging. Now, that's where a transformation starts to come in, where you're belonging to a group as part of a greater good. Then you have esteem is the next part of that, about that hierarchy. And the esteem is where you're making those data-driven decisions. Your employees are not just doing the rote tasks. They're feeling like they're doing something that's making a change. And then you have self-actualization, where the people really are, are functioning in a thriving manner. I have never seen a case where transformation has occurred that results in that esteem and actualization phases in employees whereby your customer base did not grow exponentially because it's something that is catchy, it's intoxicating. Customers feel it when their employees are happy, when employees feel that they have this empowerment. They communicate that one way or another to customers. And that might be to from a sales rep thinking, you know, I hate to use the cliche of out of the box, but really, they're really looking forward to the customer's needs, customer support, when they're actualized, and they're thinking about how can I on the spot, make a data driven decision, they're looking at dashboards, they're looking at a customer's um, issue with much more of an open mind and much more of um, having that digital mindset where they feel they can take some, you know, calculated risks to, to suggest certain ways to solve a problem versus just forwarding the ticket to somebody else. So these are the things that are huge, that are sort of underneath, um, sort of that people don't really look at, but that are very, very key to transformation that you were touching upon. And I just wanted to go a little further in that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely love that. And yes, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a, a key element. If you're not familiar with it, definitely recommend that you go out there and, and look into it and, and understand the the application of it for your organization and even yourself as an individual. Uh, Before I get to my fun last question for you, I want to kind of just do a quick recap for our listeners. So ways that we can look at successfully executing digital transformation in in B2B space. We talked about developing a clear digital strategy, embracing data-driven decision-making, really make sure that you're collecting that data, using it to make your decisions. We talked about automating processes overall and and any tasks that are, are related to the way that both you as an individual work, but then also the different ways that you are selling and supporting. I think we we talked a lot about selling, but even the customer support, customer service divisions of B2B benefit from all of this digital transformation as well, uh, where you have those knowledgeable call center employees who can start to also contribute to content that might be for the people who don't want to call in or they're part of the chat experience. I know a lot of our B2B clients who have chat implemented with customer service teams and how that has really benefited as the generational changes happen as well. We really want to make sure that we enhance the customer user experiences. So overall, as you digitize, you have to make sure that you give a consistency to the experience that they're used to, but it's in a digital format now. So if you completely change it on them, you need to educate them on how that has changed so that they are not, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. And they get paralyzed by, hey, what? I fall back to my old ways of just let me pick up the phone and call. Or they might even abandon at that point and and you lose a customer, which we don't want. but. If you don't educate and inform when you have a digital transformation, that just change management is so critical. And then we talked about this, but we now have a much more digital first generation coming into the buyer purchaser role. And we want to make sure that we're providing for them just as much as you can't abandon the people who weren't digital first and you still have to provide methods for them. So that goes back to that generational aspect. One thing that I love, and I just want to reiterate, uh, Daphna, that you talked about was just the digitize versus digital lies. I think that's a, a key takeaway for people to understand the difference between that. Go back to the close to the beginning of the episode to kind of hear Daphna explain that, but I think that was great. And then overall, monitor and adjust. Again, it's not a one-time transformation. It's an ongoing. You constantly need to monitor and adjust and optimize as both technology changes, but also as generations change. And also, as different processes change through the different ways that technology impacts the people involved overall and the products that you offer. So, that's my quick summary. Daphne, anything to add to that before I get to my last question for you?
1: No, I just, one of the great takeaways also there is just what you said about, you know, really being a journey. It's digital transformation is, you know, really like Steve Jobs said, the journey is the reward. I mean, there's so much along the way that you can continue. And if you think you're done, Uh, think again. (laughs) There's always something that you can um, improve and um, to innovate and grow and really make sure your customers are always at the center of everything you do.
0: Absolutely. So I want to get to my last question here. So thinking a little bit into the future here, where do you see B2B and especially more in the how the businesses can build resilience and thrive? Where do you see that going in the next two to three years? What challenges might come up or what changes might come into play with needing resilience and then also the opportunity to thrive?
1: Companies are popping up in the B2B space is around sustainability and food security. And as you know, there's the whole, you know, we obviously know there's a lot of changes, climate changes, things that are happening that are impacting the world, right? So technology is great. Everything's great, you know, business and, and that, but, you know, we need to be able to be a species that's alive to benefit from it, right? So we're seeing things that are very interesting in the way of sustainability. So you have um, technology partnering more and more with things like, one of the big issues is food security. So food that is going bad, for example, right? Or people throw away. I don't have the data, but it's an enormous amount of food, right? So things that are applications like B 2 B applications, not just B 2 C. I mean, we I've seen my neighbors have um, the trucks that come over, and you know they can, they provide like food from other from from resources where it's you know like not perfect vegetables. I think it's mm-hmm. called or fruit. But there's more to that. There's the restaurants that maybe they ordered a pallet of, say, butter, I don't know, um, and say they don't need it all, then there's going to be marketplaces that can then tie them with other restaurants that maybe need a smaller amount of butter or other types of food or ingredients, things that are having B2B focused areas. And then maybe say that restaurant at the end of the day has food they want to give to consumers. So that marketplace not only becomes b 2 b to b it's b 2 b to c mm-hmm. And then you have things where that's very interesting. There's work being done out of Stanford now is looking at how do we have improved sustainability around our um, medications, vaccines. We saw a lot about that. We heard about how many pharmacies were throwing away COVID vaccines, right? When say another part of the country or the world, um, and because they expired, excuse me, another part of the country or the world needed them. so we're looking at things where you have lot numbers, right and those lot numbers are tagged say with a shipment and it's say in a truck or some sort of transportation device, there's the measurement of the temperature inside that transportation device. now if it gets to be too warm, there's things where they can maybe they have these refrigeration units they make it colder there's all these things that can be done automated and by AI and machine learning to save those lots from going bad because there is a large significant there's a significant number of um, medications and vaccines things like that that will be unusable if they get too warm or whatever the case may be if they expire so say for example you have a hospital with a, a lot number that they know is going to expire it's in this database it's in the cloud and they're not going to be able to use it Perhaps they can send it to another country where it's going to be extremely well used. You know, these are the things that I think are much bigger in our in our world that the technology and the transformation and B two B can really help with. And then you have things that are like things like ChatGPT, which is so exciting, right? There's talk about using ChatGPT to like integrate and create the content for a PDP, mm-hmm. a product detail page. Now, of course, we got to refine the ChatGPT and make sure the data's pretty uh, solid and consumable for businesses, if you will. But there's things like that, or like you said, the sentiment analysis. And I'm seeing how ChatGPT is now, they're looking at AI based off of ChatGPT to look at sentiment analysis when they're doing, um, when people are having conversations over Zoom with their doctors, right? So you're having conversations and maybe there's something the doctor's not picking up on in the tone of somebody's voice. And I think that's fascinating. I find the human element and the way that we're trying to save, save people and animals and looking at also farming, sustainable farming, mm-hmm. right? So say for example, again, when you have a certain amount of farm animals and the feedlot, if you don't want the hay to go rotten, maybe they can give it to somebody down the way, another farm someplace that they can then leverage that food so that it doesn't go rotten and doesn't impact the field and all the things that go with it. So these are the areas that I see extremely mm-hmm. exciting and the way we can help our world and our people and help us thrive as we go forward.
0: Yeah, no, that's wonderful, Daphne. Thank you so much for that. And I completely agree with just the, the way that that marketplace could be such a benefit for restaurants. I, I know that with a lot of the logistics aspects and, and where food is at as well, the ability to have that marketplace for restaurants in a local region to support each other and also benefit from not having a waste happen is huge because that helps their bottom lines as well. And at the same time, benefits restaurants for you know not having to constantly change their menu or reducing their menu because they don't want to have that waste of food. And and that happened uh, during the pandemic. Uh, you saw a lot of restaurants struggle, a lot fold, uh, unfortunately. But the the menu shifts that happen because of the waste or the lack of ordering or the lack of people going in, you know. That marketplace would be a really interesting solution to that, and, and that imperfect food is also a, a unique one. I've seen a lot about that uh, the past six months Perfect. or so, and it's really interesting to see, you know, when I do walk through my local grocery store, I don't see food that looks awkwardly shaped, and we grow some stuff in our own garden too. And I'm like, well, I'm used to seeing it imperfectly shaped because it's in my garden <laughs> and saying, so we eat what we grow in that yeah. sense, but it, it is interesting where it's like, you know it's just as viable to consume. It just doesn't look perfect like you see in an ad. And I always equate that back to go to any fast food restaurant ad and compare that ad's image of that burger or whatever it is that you're getting to what you actually get that's wrapped up when you unwrap it. Yeah, never looks like that. There's all sorts of tips and tricks for how that image and and marketing was created versus the reality of what you get when you visit. So anyways, love all of that. I think that's a very interesting aspect. I, I can't wait to see where maybe some of those opportunities for those marketplaces come into play overall but thank you for being on the show today daphna really appreciate the conversation i want to thank everyone for tuning into the future by listening to lessons for tomorrow podcast for more information about the topics discussed today and to find out more about our partners at oro please check out the description of this episode if you want us to cover a specific topic or submit feedback email us at tomorrow at americaneal.com and let us know be sure to follow us wherever you listen or watch to stay up to date. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future, we'd greatly appreciate it. And if you want to, don't forget to follow us on social media where I seldom am, but sometimes pop in. And you can maybe see me post something once in a while. Overall, this episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com studios. I'm your host, Tim Elenius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.